0: Andy, I uh, always knew a day would come. Here we go on Dave, am I on? Good stuff, mate. I love the sound, man. always knew a day, mate, would come when you and I would finally own this stage <laughs> and everything that went on here. Well, who was at the uh, young adults camp a couple of weeks ago? right Righto. Good, good. Who can tell me then what this is, (laughs) or I knew at least something from that message would stick. It is indeed my Premiership grand final medallion for Yakindanda, seniors in the Talangata and District League football competition. And if you were at that camp, you would know what it cost me to get this medal. I don't want to go into that right now, far too painful. But what you you don't know is how I achieved getting this medal. What took place that year that allowed me to play on a premiership side? I, I played in a, in a team that seemed like for an eternity had longed to taste premiership glory. It, it People weren't even alive that played in our last premiership. It had been some time. But while the club and everyone in it, still all yearned for the one thing, no one had been able to bring the team together and achieve the goal of winning a premiership. And it wasn't that we, that we weren't good enough. We'd played in four of the past five preliminary finals. That's the game just before the big one. And every time we, we just got knocked out. We just couldn't get it together. But in 2000, something happened in the group of players that I was playing in. And I've never ever experienced it uh, in a sporting world before and I've, I've, I've never ever experienced it again. We became unified and not just in our common goal, in everything, in our ethos, in our, in our likeness of mind and in our hearts. We understood what each other was going to do when they picked up a footy. We knew what was going to happen next. It wasn't just our football jumpers that kind of identified us and united us now as a team. We were marked by a common bond and a common understanding of instruction. Our coach had shared and taught with us and instructed us his game plan. And over the years, we had been receiving it. And now you could say we actually believed what he'd been saying to us. And it had been proven throughout the year that the game plan that he had worked. We'd been un- in some games where we were, we were gone and we stuck to the plan and we came back and won. We knew that his words were valuable, that they were worthwhile. And now his instructions united 24 completely, and I mean completely different lads. It wasn't a team of superstars. There was no outstanding footballers amongst us. And we were dismissed as being too old you know, we'd run out of legs in the grand final and we were told that we would fold under pressure because history had shown that this club folds under pressure. We were up against a younger, far-fitter, more profiled side. Well, at the end of the first quarter, things weren't going to plan. We were down seven goals to one. We were getting smashed. And it hadn't improved at half-time. We were down 4-9 to eleven four. It was a little over six goals difference, and that's a lot in a grand final. At halftime, our coach simply said to us, don't panic. Don't panic about this. Just remember the game plan and what got us here to this day. And his words, and I can still remember them, were, we just need to be united back together again. We just need to start working for each other. We need to start taking hits for each other. We need to start protecting each other. We need to put our bodies on the line for the bloke you're standing beside. One of the big mottos of our side that year was caring and sharing. Anytime anything went to plan for us, you'd hear it sung out around the ground, caring and sharing, lads. Geez, I want to be back there. (laughs) Well, I don't need to tell you what happened. This rabble of a side came together united And stormed home to win by ten points. It was possibly one of the greatest grand final victories in the history of the league. (laughs) And I say that with modesty. (laughs) It's amazing, though, what can be accomplished when people are unified. A unity, a oneness, a oneness. It's like nothing else. It has that has an ability to achieve its purpose. Jesus knew the power of unity. He had shared perfect unity with his father, and it had marked his entire life. And tonight we're going to have a look at, a, at one of Jesus' last moments with his disciples, where he prays that they would be one, unified, and much, much more. Let's just have a look at the, the passage now. It's a whole chapter, so you know, strap yourself in. Father, yeah, grab your Bibles. That's good. I like the sound of that. John 17 Yeah, good tip, Sandy. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you, for you granted him authority over all people that they might give that that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. They have obeyed your words. Now they know everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they have accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they, they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world but for those you have given me for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and the glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer but they are still in the world. I and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one, as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may, be, they may have a full measure of joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of, this, of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth of your, wor- of your word. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, and they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as I, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I, myself, may be in them. Well, I, I, I really think this is one of the greatest moments in, in Jesus' life on earth. It's one of his most passionate moments, and he's in the upper room with the disciples, and he's been there since about chapter, sort of midway through, chapter thirteen. Judas has left. He's gone to betray the Lord. And since he's left, Jesus has been instructing the 11 that are left behind, encouraging them and comforting them for the time ahead when he would no longer visibly be with them. This chapter gives us an opportunity to hear Jesus in prayer to his Father, to hear the heartbeat of the Son of God. We truly are a fly on the wall as we step into the upper room with the disciples and listen to Jesus Pour out his heart and his concern for himself and what he must endure, for his disciples and what they will endure, and for the church to come, that all would bring glory to God, that all would share in the unity with God, and that all would bear witness to the world. In verse 1 we, we, we read, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son. Jesus standing to his feet in front of the disciples and lifting up his eyes and his arms to heaven makes this amazing statement. The time has come. But throughout John's gospel up till this moment, we have heard, in fact, that this is not the case. The time has not come. Throughout the gospel, we see that Jesus shies away any time he is thrust into the spotlight. My time has not yet come has been his standard response. So throughout the gospel, there's been a sort of a sense of anticipation. When? When will it be time? Perhaps behind this anticipation is a sense that at this time, Jesus is going to establish his kingdom. We're going to have the kingdom that we've been longing for for so long and Jesus will reign in that kingdom. We'll get rid of these Romans and Israel will once again be the nation it deserves to be. And now we hear the words that they've all been waiting to hear. The time has come. Well, this is a very important moment in his life and in the gospel story for his time is the major reason for him coming to this earth. And it's got nothing at all to do with the institution of a nationalistic kind of kingdom that they were longing for. He is speaking of his death on a cross, which will be the fulfilment of God's plan of salvation for mankind. Jesus will die for the sins of the world so that those who believe this could know forgiveness, healing, and new life in relation with God. The moment has arrived that all of creation has waited for since the fall of man. But this waiting has given way to horror as we see that the time, his passion, the one thing that has marked Jesus' ministry, the one thing that he's been pushing towards like a man possessed, is in fact his death on the cross of Golgotha. So maybe it's with this in mind that Jesus turns to his Father in prayer for the next hours will be, un- will be unlike any that anyone has ever endured or will ever endure. And Jesus, with the knowledge of this, prays that he would conduct himself in a way that would glorify the Father. As, been the, as has been the case with his whole ministry to date, a ministry that has revealed the Father God to all men. We make special note that he prays that this is eternal life, that the world, that they, may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ who you sent. Have you ever wondered what eternal life is and where it is to be found? Well, it isn't found in aromatherapy or all liver supplements. It's in knowing God and Jesus, his son. This is why he came. God has always desired that we would know him and nothing, would separate him, nothing would stop him, not even his own death on a cross. Verse 4, he prays to his Father, I've brought you glory by completing the work you sent me to do. Here we see Jesus praying to something else that has marked his life, his obedience to the will of the Father. This too has been a theme throughout the Gospel. Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, obedient. The writer of Hebrews says, that Jesus is the, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his word. This Jesus, obedient to the Father's will. And now he prays that he would continue to glorify the Father through this next few hours of his life, through his walk to the cross and death on it, that he would continue to obey and to, to bring glory to the Father. One of us? Consider what paths the Lord has for you to tread. Jesus has set an example of obedience to his path. And here he prays that he has actually completed the work that God set for him to do to the glory of God. And that is why on the cross he could cry out, It is finished. Paul knew the implications of this. And that's why he said when he wrote to the Philippians, I press on towards the goal. I keep on pressing towards it. And when he wrote to his young mate Timothy, "I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. What of us? You know it's not how you start something that matters but how you finish. God has started in your life and he has plans for you and, and things for you to do. And they, they, they revolve around and are grounded in the themes of this prayer. How will we continue on in them? In verse 6 to 20, we see the focus of his prayer shifts towards his disciples who are sitting around in front of him. And it's a threefold prayer. It's a prayer of purpose, protection and process. In verse 6, Jesus reaffirms his purpose of his visit. And that is to reveal God and his message, his word. And we find that the disciples, those who God has given to Jesus, have indeed heard and received and believed this word. They know with certainty in verse 8, they know with certainty that Jesus was sent by God and they believe his words. But even more than that, we hear that Jesus prays that glory has come to him through them, through them believing. It is to the glory of God when someone hears the message of God and believes on it. Indeed, God's word is valuable. As Paul puts it in Romans, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We too should value God's word. In his prayer too, he notes that he is leaving, but his disciples will remain. So he prays for their protection. Well, history has shown that this prayer was a complete waste of time they were beaten up, they were stoned, they were hung, they were shipwrecked. they were flogged, they were chopped up, they were imprisoned, they were left to die. But this is not what Jesus is praying for. His prayer is that they would be one, strengthened by his word, as he and the Father are one. He has given them the word, God's message of salvation, ultimate hope, and the world has hated them. How crazy is this? These disciples have Jesus' message of life and yet the world hates it. It wants to know nothing of it and they were harshly treated for their all-consuming passion for the lost. The very thing that drove them, the very thing that unified them, the very thing that was the hallmark of their life indeed would be the death of them. How then will they stand? How will, how will they remain together? This is a group that already has problems enough of its own. They've just finished arguing together about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to sit beside Jesus in his kingdom? This group has sworn enemies in it. It has zealots in it. It has tax collectors in it. A zealot has a passion for Israel's holy sovereignty and religious identity. And it saw them take action that we would describe as terrorist against those who had sold out to Rome, such as tax collectors. So Jesus is praying for their spiritual protection. That the relationship that he and the Father shared would be in them individually, and that they in turn would be unified by this common bond of love for God. That his purpose and his purposes. That they will remain faithful, unlike Judas who turned away from this unif- from God's unifying love. Jesus gives some practical tips in his prayer as to how this is done. The process. He probably could have prayed for a magical force field to just kind of illuminate around the disciples, but he he prayed. His prayer was that they would be sanctified. This would be their protection. In verses fifteen to eighteen, just as. Jesus was sent into the world, the disciples will be sent into the world. They will be part of it. And just as Jesus sought daily application of God's word in his life, he prays that the disciples would sanctify themselves in the truth, God's word. It is God's word that pure, has a purifying effect on the hearts and the minds, and our minds. And it points out sin and it motivates us to confess things and to renew our unity of relation with God. This is keeping them set apart, sanctified to the word of God, protecting them in their lives, just recalling God's word to them. It's a prayer that the disciples will call to mind when testing times come. If they are to achieve the work set before them, they will have to be one in spirit, bound together by, the, by their love in Christ, which surpasses the things of this world. And in fact, we see that it becomes the mark of the early church, as recorded in Acts 2, 42 to 47, the prayer has stuck well. No doubt, though, as as Jesus prayed for his disciples, he would have envisaged all that they would do in his name. And casting his eye over them, he would have seen Peter, who would deny him, yet who would become the orator of Pentecost, and thousands would come to believe through the message that Peter gave there, he'd he'd look down and he'd see John sitting there and envisage all that would be done in the church of Ephesus, the church of Asia Minor. And perhaps in the space that was left by Judas, he sees the great Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles and the breach into Europe. And then as he casts his mind, crossing across continents and oceans and down through time, he prays for all believers. 2,000 years ago, the creator of the universe stood in a little upstairs room and, with his omniscient mind envisaged all time to come and the church of the ages that would come from the spreading of his word by those whose faithfulness and unity in Christ witnessed in a way that glorified God and advanced his kingdom on earth, that kingdom being the abiding of him in the hearts of those who believe in his word. His prayer is not for the disciples alone but for those for all those who would believe in him through their message that he gave them. And in this his prayer is indeed for you and I. Jesus' prayer is one that goes well and truly beyond the immediate, beyond him and his immediate field of disciples. He has prayed that he would bring glory to God through his love and obedience to the Father, especially through his final hours. And we have seen that this has been fulfilled. He has prayed that the disciples would be one, that their unity and faith would bear witness to the reality of God's presence here on earth and in their lives. And we know, and that in turn would bring glory to God. And we can see the fulfilment of that in the early church. The only open part of Jesus' prayer that has not yet been tied up and is still in fact in process of being received, if you like, is for you and I. In verse 20 to 26, he prays for future believers. The same themes of obedience, unity and love, the things that have marked the life of Jesus, are now prayed here for you and I. His prayer is that we would be one, just as he and the Father are one. Why? Why is this so important? So that a watching world would believe in God and Jesus. It is the effectiveness of our lives here as a body of believers that will turn the heads of a sceptical world. Again, Jesus emphasises the point in verse 23. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and and have loved them even as you love me. You know, the hand of man can never achieve this type of unity that Jesus is praying for. It doesn't come through building all our church buildings exactly the same way or ensuring that we can recite all, you know, the exact same statement of faith. We'll never one day wake up all thinking the exact same thoughts. We'll never ever really all dress exactly the same. And that's probably fortunate after seeing the way some of you dress, especially Phil. Phil. Although, if we dress like Peter Marshall, it might be all right. He's got snappy shoes. But this, this is the beauty of his prayer. We're free to be individuals, free to have differences of opinions. You know, you might be sad enough to barrack for Collingwood. I barrack for Carlton. You might vote Liberal. I vote Labor or One Nation or Christian Democrats. These are differences that exist in us all and have the ability to divide. But Jesus' prayer is that something greater would unite us, something stronger than the things of this world. And that is his presence in us, bringing unity in our love for him, in our desire to see him glorified above our own little personal preferences and ideas. And it is this ability to be unified as one, as one body of believers that will indeed turn the heads of a sceptical world, that will draw this fractured world, longing for peace, longing for meaning, longing for forgiveness, longing for connection to something worth being connected to. We here, if you're a Christian, have heard the word of God. We have believed on it. We are united in our love for Jesus and our relationship with him. You can't find this kind of fellowship anywhere else. There is a world out there that knows nothing of the things of God except for what they witness here amongst the body of believers. You know, every time we say something or do something divisive or divisive, like, I don't know, run down the pastor don't think much of Jonathan's preaching style. Or maybe talk about someone we don't, kind of, who kind of irritates us and people are around us. You know, we say, that person just really kind of gives me the urates. The They're driving me nuts. I hate them. can't stand them. Every time we act like this and we don't act with unity and love, we make God a liar. We make Jesus' prayer ineffective and we simply justify All the reasons why people don't believe. What makes a Christian tick? What is it that enables him or her to be able to love beyond the normal, divisive lines of society? Is the last line of this great prayer? I myself may be in them. It is the presence of Jesus in the hearts of ones who have believed in the Father and His Son, Jesus that makes them this way, is what made Paul write, I have been crucified and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's no longer my own little desires that I pursue, my own little ideals, but I wholeheartedly pursue the things of Christ. It's what's behind his prayer to the Ephesians. I pray that out of the glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that, you, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Are we, are you and I, in our lives, living in our lives, marked by the themes of this prayer of Jesus for us? Do we live in a way that brings glory to God by our unity or oneness of heart? Can we look around this room and say that we love God Every single person in this building, despite whether some of us might annoy us, even more, you know, can we look out up the road there to the east and say, right now, as Sandy said earlier on, there's people in, up at Faith City that they worship perhaps a little different to us. but They're still, you know, Christians. Can we say that we love them? with unity and oneness. Perhaps there's someone you need to be reconciled with. Perhaps there's some work that needs to happen in your heart to get to this place. But maybe it is that you don't even know the outworking of this amazing prayer, Christ in me, Jesus living in my life. He prayed a prayer that you might know him. He went to a cross and died on it that you could know him. And he rose again to prove it all possible. Maybe you are someone who needs to step into this love and invite Jesus into your life. His prayer is that we would be one, one in glorifying the Father, one in the unity that comes from knowing the truth, his word, one in love, one in obedience, one that the world might know that Jesus truly lives, and that he lives in us. Father, I, I pray here tonight that we as a church would really know this unity. We'd really know what it is to be one in you. We'd know the love that you and the Father shared. Father, I thank you that, that you prayed this for us. Lord, I thank you that this was your heartbeat the unity and love of the church. Lord, would we be a people who just reflect this to a world that only knows fracture and hate and non unity? I mean.